The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello from the damp, wrong-out rag formerly known as Jane Perone, and welcome to On The Ledge Podcast. There's been a heatwave here in the UK this week. It's got very hot. And as a result of that, I hope some people are a little bit more aware about the risks of climate change. It wasn't great here in the UK, but I know that lots of people in other parts of the world are suffering way more. So, yeah, climate change is real, people. Go and read the climate change science and let's get angry about this stuff because we need change on a governmental and a personal level. But I also know that we all need some downtime and some time to relax and enjoy ourselves. And that's where On The Ledge and Houseplants come in. So welcome to the show. In this week's episode, I'm playing you the recording of my live podcast recorded at the Hampton Court Palace Garden Festival Flowers After Hours event with my guest, the delightful Janelle Leon. And I'm also answering a question about mystery drops on a philodendron. A humongous, enormous, ginormous thank you to Dean, Kathleen and Bingle Bangle, who became legends joining my Patreon clan, and also to Frank, who became a superfan. Thank you so much to all of you for putting your money where your mouth is in supporting On The Ledge. If you want to find out more about Patreon, check out the show notes where you'll also find info on how you can support the show in other ways. And those of you who are patrons, remember the Patreon survey that I'm running. You've got until end of play, British summertime, 11.59pm British summertime on the 24th. That's this Sunday, Sunday the 24th, of July 2022 to fill that out. I want to hear all the criticism, good, bad, ugly, fill that out. And if you add your email address, you will be in with a chance of getting a swag bag of On The Ledge merch. Final reminder, next week's show will be the last show for a few weeks. I'm taking August off the podcast and I'll be starting up again on September the 2nd. Patreon subscriptions will be paused I'll still be putting out briefer editions of my newsletter on the UK houseplant scene, The Plant Ledger. So if you haven't signed up for that, do go and check the show notes for a link for that. It comes out every other Friday and is packed full of information about everything that's happening in the UK to do with houseplants. <laughs> Hello. 
I've always wanted to say this. Good evening, Hampton Court. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you for joining me and uh, the wonderful Janelle Leon. I guess I'll introduce myself first. I'm Jane Perone. I'm the host of Houseplant Podcast on the Ledge. I want to say the first Houseplant podcast. I want to say I was first. I think I was. And I'm joined by Janelle Leon, who's the owner of the wonderfully named Prick, London's first cactus and succulent shop. (laughs) Um, So I'm really delighted to be here because I really love houseplants. And if you're not familiar with On The Ledge, the show started um, because... Basically, my family were sick of me talking about houseplants all the time. <laughs> I don't know if you get no, this, yeah. Janelle. Yeah. So I just thought, I'm going to start a podcast because then I can actually have somebody to just babble on to yeah. about this stuff that I'm really fascinated by. And that was back in 2017, the podcast started. I think it was the year after your shop opened. We yeah, it was. 2016. Yeah. So there was something going on in the water then, I think. Um, I mean, at that time, not people knew, not many people knew what a podcast was at that point. Um, but you know, as a self-obsessed journalist with inflated sense of my own self-worth, of course, <laughs> what could I do other than start a podcast? Um, you know, and then two hundred odd episodes and a global pandemic later, you know, it turns out the house plants are actually quite popular now. Yeah. Um, and you've been a real trailblazer in this industry. Um, one newspaper described your shop as a cavern of cacti, which I absolutely love, and indeed it is. Um, you know, you've written two books about houseplants, and you've got a column in The Guardian. Um, I'm, I read somewhere that you've also got an MSc in forensic science. I need to yeah. hear more about that later. But let's start by talking about Prick. What was it that made you decide to switch gears and switch careers and open a cactus shop? Um, I think... I always thought I was going to be a florist, um, but I always thought it was going to happen when I was 40. I don't know, when you're young, <laughs> <laughs> when you're young, 40 sounds like this old mm-hmm. age when I've got everything sorted in my life, little did I know. <laughs> it's not how it works out. Um, so I had this like thing, in the future, this is my dream, and then I basically got dumped. I got dumped many times in my 20s. I was a serial dater, and I believed everybody was the one, and then the last one that dumped me, um, I was like, he was a musician and he traveled the world and he moved to New York and I was like do you know what he's doing whatever the hell he wants why don't I start thinking about if there was anything I could do why don't I just do this florist now so I went into it thinking I was gonna own a florist but it was only because of a working in a florist seeing how hard it is (laughs) such hard work (laughs) like physically like labor intensive I don't do mornings like all these things were I realized they didn't actually suit me um I also had like a growing house plant collection especially cacti and succulents and I was really sick of having to drive to Chelsea once like go to Chelsea once a year or drive for four hours up to Lincolnshire to um, cactus um, land to get my plants I just went online to Google to find somewhere in London and there was nowhere and I kind of just thought well why isn't there there's thousands of succulent species why isn't there somewhere dedicated to just these incredible loyal hardy neglect um enduring plants like they suited my lifestyle perfectly um and that's when i kind of changed route and i was like no i need to open that 
cactus shop and I'm going to call it prick and it was just like a thought like that and I said it to people and then everybody was like that's genius I mean it was more the name that everyone was like that's genius they weren't really into plants yet <laughs> I say yet because everybody <laughs> I know is into them now but yeah at the time everyone was just like yeah it's perfect I mean the name is brilliant because it's entirely accurate but it's also that little bit provocative um <laughs> Talking about cacti and succulents, you're right, they are easy, but I do see a lot of listeners who send me pictures of things that have turned to mush Mm. and things that have wizened because they've literally thought, it's a desert plant, I don't need to water it. So when, you know, somebody's coming to your shop and buying a cactus and they really, clearly, this is their first purchase, what, what, what are the things that you want to be ringing in their ears as they leave that shop? I think, like, with all houseplants that we're buying, we have to think about what their natural habitat's like and then emulate that at home. So with cacti and succulents, although, yes, they are in arid environments, it does rain. (laughs) It does (laughs) rain in those places. It's just the fact that when it does rain, it's a heavy downpour. They soak up as much as they can in their fleshy leaves or in their stem, and that's what allows them to keep going. There is some water in there, whereas... I think there's a big misconception where it's like they don't need water. It's this, the fact that they, they do need it, but they're able to store it if you water it liberally at a time. So I think that's the number one thing where it's like they do need actually care and water and they need quite a lot of sunlight. So I think as with all ornamental plants, we've got them in our homes to make it look good. But I think that then people place them in areas that look good rather than thinking about what the plant needs so if we think about like care first like okay so this needs sunlight don't put it on your mantelpiece because there's nothing there (laughs) like there's an empty zone you want to put it where it's getting sunlight and it's getting enough light so with cacti and succulents it's usually like full exposure except that you do have some like you know like if you see the hanging plants like ripsalis they usually want a little bit less they can be scorched because they're used to getting some shade um but yeah usually it's that and then you want to have free draining soil so you have lots of people put a a plant in a lovely pot doesn't have any drainage hole they'll put it straight in there nothing at the bottom because it looks nice and that's the thing the aesthetic side of it but then they'll water too much and it will fill up like a bath and then (laughs) and then it's all soft and mushy and that's you know the rot um so it's usually either they are rotting it or they're killing it with kindness every time they see the plant they're like oh let me give it a bit more water and a little bit more water like every time they see it rather than kind of having a schedule in their mind of like okay i watered that a week ago two weeks ago let's check the soil first we want to make sure that dries out completely um and the other thing with succulents is that you want to give it a season as we were saying in the arid environment there are times of the year where they won't get much water and they're used to going dormant and they need that rest so it's like choosing that that season's probably about October through to March and it depends because our seasons are now shifting so much where you can get really hot days in October sometimes so it's kind of just seeing what our environment's saying as it's getting cooler as we're getting more rainfall kind of then switching over to especially with cacti not watering but then we have to also be aware that we've got them in our homes where we've got central heating which they wouldn't usually have out in the wild so it's kind of making little adjustments but it's just mainly just knowing the care for the plant for what it's used to and then just emulating that at home people love to put plants on a mantelpiece don't they (laughs) and really there's not that many plants unless you've got a really i mean mantelpieces are usually away from the window like 
there's not that many houseplants that are going to do well there unless no. you've got them under a grow light. But, I mean, they do look good. I understand why people do it. Yeah. But, um, it, you know, and I, I mean, succulents are really tough. I had a colleague at work who, you know, had a Ripsalis on her desk. And honest to God, I don't think she ever touched it or watered <laughs> it. And it just looked exactly, it didn't grow, yeah. but it looked exactly the same. Yeah. So these plants are really, really tough. I know this is like choosing like a favorite child, but can you pick out a particular cactus or succulent that really makes you uh, your heart sing? Is there something you really wouldn't li- want to live without? Oh, I, I, I'm between two. Okay, you can have two. two. I'm going to go two because one's a succulent, one's a cactus. Okay, so that's fair. I would say um, genus-wise, it will be like um, Euphorbia succulents because they are so diverse in how they look you'd see two different ones like the abesso if you have the abesso next to like the ingens you'd never think they were in the same family because they look so different um and i do love them for that i don't love them for the sap but i do love them (laughs) we must mention the the euphorbia sap because i don't know what it is with euphorbias but i have heard a few horror stories of um gardeners um growers with euphorbia sap I think particularly where um, it's warm and you're in a greenhouse and you cut a euphorbia and this milky sap kind of uh, turns into an aerosol in the air and gets Does you it? in the eye. I yeah, it's like actually that. really, really horrible. Um, so you have to be really careful yeah. with those plants. And a lot of people don't realise, and there's always sort of horror stories of, um, you know, people uh, realising. And, and it's made worse by exposure to the sun, obviously. Yeah. So if you're in a, like you go outside and you've got some sap on you and then it's not funny so just be careful with your euphorbias is all i would say um but uh they are an amazing amazing family of plants obviously lots of garden plants that are euphorbias too um i really love if i can just before you tell me your cactus just say i love euphorbia abisa the um i think one of the names is the tartan golf ball or something oh, like okay. that. I've heard uh, basketball ca- cactus, which is wrong anyway, yeah. basketball cactus, but I've not heard the top, but, but it I, does make sense. I'm time. feeling a bit sensitive about that plant right now because my husband, I did a beautiful ter- terracotta dish of succulents to take <laughs> to his office. Uh, this was pre-COVID. He's just brought it home uh, and he hasn't been in his office for quite a long time and it was just the saddest <laughs> sight. Oh, my gosh. This Euphorbia obesa had just crunched in on itself oh in this no. really dismal way and somehow had mealybugs as well. Oh. So that was great. But, um, yeah. Anyway, let's talk about cactus um, choices. Cactus, it has to be the mammillaria because... Okay. I mean, there's such an easy one to flower i feel that's like one thing that's really lovely about many of the um species and also i think there's just something so otherworldly the kind of you know how they can clone and make these massive clumps and you know you've got ones that can help that i think they're gorgeous so i think that would definitely be my cactus yeah i think the thing with cacti is that the flowers, people don't really realise just how amazing the flowers are until you yeah. go to a show like this and you see some of the cactus stands at just absolutely those mammillaria, just a huge mound covered in these amazing neon flowers, yeah. which are just absolutely stunning. Um, and that's a really good reason to grow them. They are absolutely gorgeous. Um, I love, there aren't that many scented uh, cacti, but I love, um, what do you, have you ever smelt the flowers of the Easter lily cactus? The, those no, big white flowers. They smell like purcell. 
Really? They smell like personal laundry powder. I'm not kidding you. They're amazing. So <laughs> if you like the smell of that, which I happen to do, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, we, we must touch on a subject, though, which is potentially... Is it controversial? I don't know. But the world of houseplants is full of women, which is great and delightful. Um, but the world of cactus collecting is a little bit male, and, and <laughs> so, old and yeah and and the older generation as well how do you uh how do you feel um being the younger guard of the cactus world um, i mean i've got lots of old man friends Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> um i've always um it is really interesting because I think the first time I went to a um, BCSS, so British Cactus and Succulent Society meeting, I walked in and everyone was like, "Like, are you in the right place? And I was like, yeah, definitely. And I was the youngest by, I mean, several decades. Like, I think, like, the next person up for me was, like, 60-something years old. So, um, but it was really lovely because in that sense, it's like you've got this lovely community of people who can, like, look after you. But then at the same time, it's kind of credibility had to be gained because it's kind of like, mm-hmm. well, you're so young. How could you know anything about these? Like, mm-hmm. you know, compared to us, who have been doing this for 40-odd years. So it was kind of... It's hard going into any industry as a fresh person, mm-hmm. let alone completely different to the rest of the demographic. But I always see everything, like, as a challenge. Like, it's like I love these things, like these plants, because I generally do have a passion for it. It's not like a fad or anything like that. And I think that's been felt by the community. So it's just really nice that they embraced me and helped me learn so much about them. Awesome. Well, I've just been slightly distracted by, by the, the uh, <laughs> jazz music we're experiencing over here. Um, it sounds a little bit like the opening uh, theme music for my podcast, so I'm all <laughs> up for it. But um, yeah, there's a massive sousaphone over there. What else can I say? Um, <laughs> one of the things I love about houseplants is that I think it's a really interesting combination of art and science like there's not many things in life where you're worrying about the aesthetics of the pot and you're also looking at the incredible botany of these plants um does your forensic science background does this come into your work at all i want to know whether you're like i don't know what are you doing that that (laughs) makes that msc all feel worthwhile (laughs) Nothing. I'm not dissecting any part. Um, I think that, like, basically it's quite funny because when I went to uni, I did my first degree in anatomy. And I actually did it because I said, I don't want to do biology because I don't want to study plants. And it's such... Because obviously now I'm in love with them. But then at the time, I just... I think I came out of school and I was just like, no plants. I just want humans. And that's it, really. Um, But um, I think that with the MSc, I think it teaches you to research. Like, I'm very good... and helped with the books definitely so being able to research um integrity being able to like follow a process so i think all of those things are so important in running a business i don't know if it's applicable make like for plant business but i feel like the skills that i gained during that was mostly like being able to write really well being able to really look for facts like instead of just like grabbing things off of google or whatever do you know like being able to sit down and read and then compile like a report or a you know an article or a, you know um a chapter in a book so i think definitely that's the transferable part there the rest of it no like it was just, <laughs> just a lot of fun like i think there were things like i did um 
expert witness um so you go to like call you get trained by barristers to like go under pressure um so they like completely try to like break you down um and then they film it and they show you all the things like your weird quirks or where you go wrong and i think that's something that in life has taught me so much because i feel like i can kind of enjoy if anyone's going to try and break, i kind of hold my my steadfast so i think there's a lot of transferable things in there but in general it was a really enjoyable time I'm not going to break you tonight, Janelle, with any of my questions, clearly. I mean, I've got a degree in English literature, which was, you know, like for my current job, not at all relevant. I just, you know, I just love books and it was a great degree, but... But for journalism... Yeah, not that, not that relatable. I spent a lot of times reading Dickens novels. I mean, it was nice, but it wasn't that relevant. Um, I mean, I wonder whether younger generations are sort of steered away from thinking about studying horticulture and botany mm. and, and not I mean I certainly wasn't I was really into plants as a kid but I never considered doing that as a as a degree course or anything it just never entered my mind I don't mm. know whether it's that it's just not seen as being prestigious enough or that I don't know what the reason is but um, we need more young people getting yeah. into this um, this world so let's hope that changes yeah I, in school I never even knew of like horticulture as a whole industry no. at all you just, I know you had like farmers that is it I didn't ever think there's anything else yeah. that goes on so I think I always loved flowers but I never saw any other way to do it so I think it would be great for the next generation just to be aware of these things and also mm. like being able to open it up to like not being just for a certain class of people so just being everybody can do these jobs mm. yeah exactly I think there's a stereotype that if you get into horticulture you're you know pushing a mower which is I mean I, you know there's nothing wrong with that but it's so much wider oh. than that and there's so many um, other interesting careers out there um, which you know I mean I, I always say to my kids when I was your age my job didn't exist so who yeah. knows what you're going to be up to um now you're obviously known for your cacti but you've also written a book about houseplants and you've got a houseplant column in the guardian um i used to work for the guardian so you know i'm allowed to to give them a plug <laughs> <laughs> um how do you it, you're picking a houseplant every week to profile are you just going for your favourites or have you got any other criteria that make a plant a good for inclusion in there? Um, I've got a few different things that I use. I've, first of all, I kind of made a list of plants that I thought that were quite common ones that most people would have. And then I had some that were common and then people would struggle with. So I thought I'd do those yeah. so that they can go, oh, can we that's say, Can why. we say Calathea? Can we? Yes. <laughs> everybody like everybody's like oh that's why it's not me um Mm -hmm. so that was the one thing that i do i do also um look for like trending plants so i do look like online to see if there is because you see like patterns online of people Mm. getting into them and i use google trends as well i like check and see what people are looking for um but yeah and it's kind of just a mixture of that or if it's like yeah a loved one of mine but it's kind of a mixture of both but it is as the weeks get on it's like oh yeah what what is it going to be this but you never run out there's yeah, thousands and thousands thing. of plants so it's really lovely especially for me if it is something that a plant that i don't know much about then being able to research myself so it's i love 
writing every week it forces me to like mm. research and write every week whereas before I'd always go I'd love to write some bits but when you haven't got a column which has to be in by a deadline <laughs> you kind of leave it for months or like oh this is I haven't written since my last book kind of thing so I think that's what's really great just to be able to like tap into like oh what is it that people don't know about and I ask also um, my followers as well I do ask sometimes like oh what yeah. do you want me to write about but almost always they say pests and I'm like that's not a plant like no. I can- <laughs> But we need to talk about Calatheus because, I mean, so many people uh, buy these beautiful plants, um, you know, from the DIY store or from a plant shop, and it doesn't go well. I mean, you do, like, I think Instagram is a bit deceptive because you see this incredible plant on Instagram and somebody, you think, wow, I I can do that. And then you realise that you can't. No, Uh, (laughs) no. What is it about them that is hard, and and what you know? How do you how do you make them happy? Is is it possible in a conventional home? I mean, I I'm thinking that the only one that I would I recommend to people when they're saying you know I've killed all the Calatheas is Calathea Network. I think is one of the ones that does put up with normal room conditions without yeah. really sulking, which is that lovely one with the sort of, well, network of, like, lime green and um, green leaves. That's the easiest as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, if someone tells me they've killed 10 calatheas, I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, just just stop. stop that. I mean, yeah. I think, like, as you are saying, with Instagram, also it's very difficult because you don't know what country they're in. So yeah. I feel like if you've got a higher, like, humidity, then you're probably making it a bit easier. And also you just have to have a lot of time, which I don't have, like, to mm. literally be constantly saying are you okay? Are you okay? What else do you need? Do you need more humidity? What about your soil? Oh, I can see you, you're about to crisp up right there. Like, it's just those leaves. Like, I, I don't understand how that you can keep them without having brown on some part of them. Yeah, yeah. They, they do lend themselves to that, unless you're seeing them in a, a greenhouse. That is the, the trouble. But what are the trendy plants that you're seeing? You know, you're looking at trends. What are, are there any particular trendy plants that you're noticing coming through? I mean, I'm thinking that Ripsalis seem to be yeah. having a big day right now. Yeah, I think like, I feel like now everybody's getting very much like, because of social media, I think this as well, sizest. So anything that's going to grow massive, so they can say, look what I've done to allocations. <laughs> so the huge allocation, like the, any of those, there's so many different species. That's why I'm noticing a lot of, it's a lot of huge allocations. You've got the photos, so you've got the size aspect from like, look how small I am compared to my large plant. So I feel like there's a lot in the plant world at the moment. It's a lot of like these kind of like, I bought it here like you showed the like beginning or like five years ago and look at the monster here and I think then people buy into it oh I want to do that like I want to see that success every day when I go into my front room so I definitely think that at the moment is a big time for allocations like that's all all the different species of those everybody's into the larger the better yeah and again not that easy I mean no I mean I think it always also depends on what kind of house you're living in if you're living in you know a place with only north facing windows then probably cacti are not going to work for you no I mean do you get some customers coming in where you're just like I can't help you or you need to get grow lights (laughs) because yeah you know a lot of people, especially younger people who are getting into houseplants, don't necessarily have like you know a lovely massive floor floor to ceiling south facing yeah. outlook. I think that's the thing. I think that 
a lot of times, a lot of people struggle with light levels. Like their perception of light levels mm. is so varied because it's this thing that we think of and we, we can all make our own idea of it. I think we have a lot of emails in where people send me pictures and I'll say, that plant, as soon as I see it, that's not got, had enough light. And they'll say, no, it's got direct light. And I'll say, show me, like pan out, show me where it is. And this one time it was like, the, it was this, a, like a really high level window and the plant was on the floor mm-hmm. under it, so it wouldn't get any light and I was like no that's not direct light so I think it's like educating people on what light levels are because yeah. once you know that and then you know that, but then you need to know what your plant needs but I think that it's that people think oh it's bright enough in here for me to read a book that's that's bright light yeah. it's like no like you know it needs to be direct you need to you know it needs to be on the plant um so i think that is something and i think obviously as you said in especially in cities in london you might not have a space you might have just one window and so it's just kind of knowing that if it's not bright enough don't get succulents or cacti you need to then be thinking of like oh if you have got one maybe like a sense of area you're gonna get a snake mm-hmm. plant um because then it can do with lower levels of light so I think most people think that they're like plant killers, but actually it's the fact that they've just don't know the care for that plant. So if you knew before you bought the plant that, oh, I've actually got a shady room, you'd go out looking for shady plants and you'd have harmony rather than trying to put a, um, an echeveria there and it stretches looking for the light. So I think that's the number one thing that I think that would help people keep their plants alive is just to know that, in every circumstance, you're just trying to emulate the plant's needs. It's not where you need the plant to be. You need to like reverse it and work out like what does the plant need and can I can I give it that in my home? Exactly. And those echeverias, I mean, they go like fireworks. <laughs> they just stretch out. And people think that's actually what they are meant to look like. Yeah. And you're like, no, that's not... <laughs> They're not meant to be, you know, looking like something out of a doctor's <laughs> book. They're meant to be a compact rosette. Um, I mean, you uh, you can kind of sometimes recover those, though. Um, yeah, deheading. It depends on how far gone bad it is. Yeah, but I think that I always feel bad because people go, look at my plant, it's grown so much. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm going to tell you. <laughs> shouldn't look like that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, it is one of those hard ones. And I always say to people, if it's stretch, if it's smaller at the top, if it's a lighter colour, then it's not getting enough light. And then that means that, like, you won't make the mistake of others. Because I think lots of people get that fear, that fear of failure. Like, oh, mm. no, I'm a bad plant parent. I'm going to give up now. And it's like, no, because with every mistake you've made, um, you've learned a lesson, like, yeah. which means that you can keep another one alive or not put a succulent in the corner. So I definitely always say that everything's a learning experience. Exactly. And, you know, the great thing is you can, as you say, chop the head off that uh, echeveria. And, you know, succulent cuttings can just sit on a shelf yeah. for weeks. <laughs> I mean, I've had things that have been on, I had some jade plant cuttings that were literally on a shelf for months they were fine. Yeah. So as long as you're not sort of throwing too much water at them, you can oftentimes fix these problems. But uh, yeah, it, it is a bit depressing when somebody's like thinks that's the natural shape <laughs> of the plant. I feel you know that's that's where the education comes in. Um, and also, I think we've got to talk more about substrate though, because uh, that is another key thing yeah. where you get this issue of this. They leave it in the. Drain, no drainage pot and then it's a, a giant sump and those roots they like lots of moist, lots of uh, air around them don't they yeah. 
I, well, do you have a secret recipe for substrates? What, what do you tend to use? It's not a secret. We do share it. Um, but we do mix up our own soil. I do like pumice. Very, very hard to very hard to come by at the moment. Very, very expensive. Like, insanely. Um, so if anyone's hearing this and they look up online and they're like, what? Like, yeah. yeah. But I do really like pumice. I know, like, if you are, like, hardcore with cacti, you will just use pumice. You won't use anything else. But I find, like... A, with like moving, like we would never be able to like post things out with just pumice or go everywhere. It's also very expensive, but so we mix ours up. So we mix ours up with coir um, and we do have like some grit and then we have like some just light kind of topsoil and kind of mix it in to make a more soily kind of base, but with lovely drainage for it. And it's all yeah. obviously peat free. So yeah, that's definitely what we use. So I think we have used many different ones over the year, but that's usually what we use and it's got, we put John Ennis in there as the, um, number two um peat free for us to have that kind of mm. soil base but that's ours but i know that obviously it can be such a mixture some people will use like more grit or they'll use perlite or use vermiculite like there's so many different things you can add and of course we must mention the classic uh, substrate ingredient cat litter yes i mean that's really popular i mean you gotta be choosing the right cat litter though yeah i have tried to do this where you go to the supermarket and i'm looking for the right cat litter i'm like i've got no idea cat litter this is made out of so many different things you don't want the one made out of uh wood pellets yeah. or the one made out of uh, like gra- gel granules i don't even know what that is is the molar clay one apparently okay. there's this pumice substitute but um i've always seen on the um cactus like forums they always show like share actual links to ones that yeah like, so I've always seen i think that. there are a couple of brands that people prefer but it, it, it's it's a minefield it is a minefield but i think the main thing is as you say you just test it out get the pot put some substrate in it and run some water through it and see how quickly it drains through if yeah. it doesn't drain through quickly you know you're gonna put your plant under a lot of stress so um whatever you use it's just got to be that free draining stuff i love pumice as well but as you say it's for some reason in this country it's really i guess we don't have any volcanoes i don't know no no you're right it's like um portugal i think right. they mine for it and there's um oh there's somewhere else but yeah it's it's in europe there's like two countries in europe but that's why we don't yeah. actually have anywhere here it's all imported and do you find that um when you're dealing with people buying cacti that people want to kind of uh, want your wisdom when they come in the shop are they like I don't know what to buy or do do people oftentimes just see something and absolutely fall in love with it I know you've got some amazing specimens in the shop Um, I haven't worked in the shop for a while but I'll talk about when I was in there every single day for six weeks it was like a lot of people you would have people come in saying show me a plant to buy like and I would always say just have a look at them because they all have like especially with cacti I find they've got such great character mm. I was like they'll be able to speak to you you'll be able to be like actually there's something about that one you know mm. and they've got such amazing geometric design like and it's just incredible I just think they're incredible because of it um but you do have that mixture but then you do have a lot of people come in and they'll potter around and then they'll like get the courage to be like I've got a question you know and they're like <laughs> I'm like it's fine for you just to ask so I think it's really nice that 
we what I felt when I first opened the shop is that I had created as you were saying you wanted a place to speak to people I had created this this hub where people could come in and show me their pictures I'd be like I know you've got pictures on your phone just show me and they'd be like you really mm. want to see them like hundreds of pictures of their plants um, and I think one thing especially with cacti is like identifying them it's so hard because there's so many different species and if you don't have any idea of the genus it's so hard to name so I think yeah. we have a lot of people asking for IDs because obviously then you'll know like more information about your plant um, and being able to care them for you but you have like a mixture of people that are coming that are like hardcore like cactus fans um, and come in for either like to just talk plants um, or to get advice so yeah it's really nice having a mixture of like first time buyers as well as people that are really into the game yeah and I find when you start talking to people you've got to sort of weigh up okay if they start throwing some, just throwing these Latin names out like ninja stars, you're like, okay, they know what they're talking yeah. about as opposed to the person who goes, that blobby, green blobby thing over there. Like, you know, you, you find the level. But um, I, you're right, though. Uh, cacti, there are so many of them. And, you know, oftentimes with, with houseplants, usually I can give a pretty confident ID, but often with cacti, I'm like... I really, I mean, aside from things that I, you know, know quite well and grow myself, yeah, yeah. It's, it get, does get tough. Um, and also the, the, there's changes as well, which is another problem, the way something's changed name. And, and some oh, of the names the are time. unpronounceable as well. I feel like now there's things that we know so well, like Calathea, we know it by that name. Yeah. Sorry, I'm still calling it. Like, that's it. I'm not going to change it over. Like, it's, so there's so many things now where it's like, okay, that's what it is. But everybody else in the world still calls it by its old name. And it's like the more yeah. they run the DNA and they're like, oh, actually, no, it doesn't belong to that family. It's just keeps changing. So it's really hard to keep up with. And then if you do call it by its new name, everybody's like, what, what plant are you talking yeah. about? What if, is that? If you say Gapertia rather yeah. than Calathea, it's like, well, who? <laughs> the what now? <laughs> So, yeah, it is tricky. And, I mean, some of the new names are just like, I mean, how, I still don't know how to spell Gapertia because I have to Google it every single time. The e and the, uh, yeah, I don't know. But anyway, it is, it is tough. Um, and I think with, with cacti, one of the things I do like is the fact that you've got such a range of sizes. Yeah. Do you, uh, is it a situation now where people maybe are have small flats aren't necessarily buying the huge ones anymore or do people still in cacti still want that statement plant like you were talking about for houseplants I think it's a mixture of like I think with the city you want to you can have that lovely collection on your windowsill which I think is so cute and you can nurture them and grow and have a growing collection in a small space but I think the statement ones are still really wanted but because of Brexit it's really hard oh, really? to get them in yeah so you'll find now there's a huge shortage of like large cacti and also it's Brexit and also demand like they can take up to 40 years to get these like six foot cacti everybody this you know we've been riding this wave for the last six years so obviously if all of them have sold now we're gonna have to wait another 30 yeah. odd years 35 40 years until they're grown so then now we've just got this huge hole where it's like people want them but there's nowhere to get them from so if you have got a large cactus you need to just look after that like because yeah. it's so hard to come by yeah. and people have spent a lot of time nurturing them so um, I feel like now because of that and people have just accepted that people have now gone back to like okay I'm going to now say in 20 years time and be proud of this huge cactus that I've grown and say like I did that myself rather than buying it big 
Yeah, I think there's something in that. And it's a really joyous thing when you can grow something. The first time something flowers, it's just, or, you know, produces a little baby. It's just, it's a real thrill. It's a real, real thrill. And, um, but we do, I mean, I have to always say whenever I do a talk or a, a podcast that, you know, there are some disasters along the way. <laughs> Things do die in my care, as yeah. they like to say these days. I mean, you know, it happens and particularly with cacti, I think sometimes at the end of winter, you can get that moment oh, where yeah. it's like you start watering again and you realise, that's not sleeping, that's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a really depressing moment. But um, it, does, it happens to the best of us, yeah. doesn't it? I think people need to remember that they are living things so as much as we can care for them sometimes it's just their time to go um that's one thing and also we we're allowed to mess up like i i tell people all the time and they go do you know you won't believe it i've killed a cactus i've like i've killed loads like it's fine like it happens you might be really busy you forgot to water that one over here or scorching or even this summer i had like a lovely um um Echinocactus grisona, a large one actually. Um, it's quite sad. It's like 25 years old. And I was like, it's summertime. And I put it outside. I gave it a huge water. But you know what this weather's like here? Like, <laughs> it can be really hot one second and then cold the next. And it literally, I just rotted it. And I was oh. so sad. I was like, I got too excited thinking that we were in the full-blown summer, but we weren't quite there yet. And also, I think it might have been shock because it had been, you know, in a cool, mm. like, place inside. And then we had this, so we all make mistakes. And I think yeah. it's also, I think it's very comforting when people that are seen as, like, these plant people actually can say, yeah, it happens to all of us. I'm not going to stand here and say, no, I don't kill any of my plants because it definitely happens. But we just learn from it every time, like, and then go, oh, won't do that again. Well, the mistake I've made in the past is putting cacti on the compost heap. And you pay for that because then when you, you know, months later when oh. you're like turning your compost and you get like spiked I... from beyond the grave. I mean, <laughs> it's just, that is an awful experience. I've learned not to do that with anything that's too spiky because those spikes, they just, they stick around. Yeah. They don't break down in the same way as our other plant material. You must have had some war tales of being attacked by your or not attacked but you know well maybe you're not as clumsy as i think i fell into something when i was in your shop i'm clumsy <laughs> so um any advice on what to do if you do get spines literally pricked um i feel like i, I remember once it's like learning to stop yourself having the reflex of catching things when they drop oh that's the one yeah. thing that i've had to rewire my brain which is quite hard i'd have it where something would go and you're like, ah, oh, and you've caught it in your hand. Um, with um, spines, it's, I think the bigger they are, the easier it is because you mm. can see it usually to get out. It's when you've got like, A, if you've got the glockids from uh, a puntia or like a, what do we call them, bunny ear cactus where they're tiny little like hairs, those ones I'd use sellotape to pull them out and then just kind of just deal with it will the itchiness will go after a while mm. the more you itch the more it makes it itchy um with the larger ones if it is spines just um either you can like push them out which i find like if you get it quickly if your skin hasn't like kind of got a callus over you could push them out if not it's like you know you use like a splinter you need to kind of get it out of there but i recently had one in my finger and i'm used to them so 
I can have some on my arm and not even feel it anymore and then be like, oh, look, they've been there about two days. But the one in my finger hurt so much and it was there for like two weeks. I couldn't get out. And it's so bad that now my son constantly talks about, oh, I think I've got a cactus spine in my arm. I'm like, no, you haven't. Like, Because he's just so used to me talking about it for that whole two weeks going, I can't get this cactus spine oh, out of my finger. My That's the worst I've had. But usually, if it's just a normal surface one, you can usually push it out or you yeah. can like use the tweezers to take them out yeah yeah i mean i when i was researching my book i I read a lot of stuff uh, academic papers on um you know doctors writing academic papers on treatment of getting rid of cactus spines and the number of different solutions they had for getting the spines out was amazing really um but some of the injuries were eye-watering you just thought gosh this poor person who's like really has fallen or children falling Falling into patches of cacti it's just horrendous do not do that. I could not imagine that. I've yeah. had people come into the store and tell me that from like, and it, it stays with them. Like they're like, as a child, I fell into a cactus. <laughs> yes. and you're just like, yeah. I could imagine like if you had, I find it hard with just one in my finger, let alone like if you're covered on your oh body trying yeah. to get them out. But I haven't had any huge accidents. I've just had like, if I like walk into one and it, it gets me, or I found that in the greenhouse, I'd have to tie my hair up because I have oh. like. <laughs> It'll get stuck. I'll get stuck with the hanging ones. That's the one thing that I always forget when I go in there. I'm like, oops. Um, so I always try and tie hair up when I'm going in the greenhouse because they, and then also in clothes as well, they'll catch on you. So I've had one before on my clothes and I sat down and it's just like attached to the Ow. side of me. So, oh my I mean, it's a, it's a, da- it's a dangerous job. The perils of the job. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess... Uh, the, the, the danger zone is when you're repotting. I mean, I just yeah. usually like wrap it in something, but... There's no easy way to do it. There's no. Some of those spines are just so yeah. able to penetrate. I use. Um, I make like a noose out of like paper, so you can mm-hmm. like just kind of, or you can use I don't know any piece of cloth, so that you're kind of holding it away, not actually having to touch it. And then I find also I must admit like I don't wear gloves when I when I repot, but like it's a lot to do with like the pressure points of like balancing it in a certain way that it's not going to get you but there are some cacti where there's just, it's just too it's too spiky that they will it's very lethal um, but me and Daisy were talking today like the agaves are probably the worst oh yeah because that's just like that feels like you're just being punctured it's just they're so so sharp and so long and thick they're, they're probably the most painful yeah I'm totally with you they are absolutely lethal in fact I've seen um, on the Isle of Wight where there's a lot of agaves they have um, corks in, oh, in the t- oh, on the, on the spikes to stop people hurting themselves because I imagine that's you know they're not gonna, they don't want to be sued by somebody who's had their eye poked out yeah. by one of these things but it, it, they are lethal I mean I guess you know it's you can understand why the plant's doing it they don't want to be eaten by herbivores in the wild um, and it's very sensible but um, yeah it is it is a peril of um, being involved in cactus yeah. succulents unfortunately <laughs> but yeah I think the um, the, the benefits outweigh yeah. the, uh, the, the, the problems we're having. Um, I have run out of questions to ask you. I don't know if there's anything my audience wants to ask <laughs> before we go or um, if I shall just wrap up. If you've got a question, Emily, or I'm putting you on the spot here.
Oh, you know, I've never done this, you, but you I know can. you can. Yeah, you, you can do it. Um, yeah, you can get a little paintbrush and, and just, I mean, like, you can make it as complicated or as simple as you like, but you could just get a paintbrush and move pollen from one flower to another or between two plants and then just watch out for the seed pod, which will hopefully develop and then harvest the seed. The cactus seed is, like, really tiny is really on the whole, so that's the downside. But, yeah... Just play around with it. It's it's really fun, and um, it's most cacti are quite easy to grow from seeds, so it's worth having a go. Um, uh, just make sure that you're not exp- that other pollinators aren't coming in and and sort of like getting in the way of what you're trying to do. But yeah, it's a fun thing to do. It's really fun. You just end up with an awful lot of cacti when you grow them from seed. <laughs> That's the only thing, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, you get an awful lot of plants. I mean. Um, why is that a problem? Of course, it's not a problem. You've got friends and family. They would all love to have a cactus. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me this evening. And um, thank you to my guest, Janelle. And um, it's, the gloaming is coming on here at, um, at Hampton Court. It's look, all looking rather charming. Um, so enjoy the rest of the show. And um, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much to my guest Janelle Leon and to Hampton Court for hosting the show this year. I also got the chance to meet up with the wonderful drag queen gardener who was also doing a podcast recording at the show and is magnificent. So do check out the drag queen gardener. Daisy Desire is drag queen underscore gardener on Instagram. And now time for question of the week. This one comes from Megan and it concerns some sticky drops on a philodendron paraiso verde. And Megan immediately thought that the sticky drops on those leaves were caused by honeydew. Now, honeydew, I always think, sounds a lot nicer than it actually is. I'm thinking of a delicious honeydew melon, I guess, but actually it's a secretion. (laughs) The word secretion is, is just great to start with. It's a secretion of various houseplant pests that suck sap out of our plants, namely things like aphids and scale insects. It comes out of their anus and they basically, yeah, and it kind of is fired. (laughs) Sorry, this is too much information maybe, but basically they fire this honeydew out of their bottom area when they go to suck the sap of a plant. When we say sap, we're talking about the phloem This is the botanical term for it that is in the plant's leaves. And obviously that contains water, but it also contains sugars and nitrogen. And some of that has to be jettisoned. And that's where the honeydew comes in. So it's it's a sugary excretion. I'll put a link in the show notes to an article all about honeydew, which you might find interesting. What then happens is that Ants in particular are attracted to the honeydew because they want those sugars. So they will then act like a farmer of these insects, protecting them and ensuring that they have a supply of honeydew to harvest for themselves. So, yes, they're very clever. And if you leave the honeydew in situ for a while, you may also find you get this black powdery stuff on top of it. And that is sooty mould that builds up on (laughs) 
behind you. It gets worse. So yeah, you may also see that black powdery stuff. Look out for that. That you'll probably find when you start wiping that away that it's embedded on the very sticky honeydew below. But when you see honeydew on leaves, it can be confusing because oftentimes, particularly if you've got a bit of a jungly environment at home, (laughs) you know, I'm speaking to somebody who probably has got a jungly environment, given you're listening to this podcast, you may find that you see the honeydew on one plant, but actually it's dropping from pests on another plant overhead. You might also spot if your plant's next to a window, the window getting sticky. Sometimes it's not that easy to spot. So Megan's wondering if this sticky stuff is indeed honeydew, but looking around for pests is at a loss to find any pests on these particular plants, even though she is, as all good on the ledge listeners are, using a hand lens. So Megan is flummoxed what could be causing this if there aren't any sap-sucking pests around. Megan's also found sticky drops on other philodendrons, including the delightful Ring of Fire. It does seem strange because as Megan has shown me in the pictures, she's also got various marks on the leaves that do look like there could be some pest involved. Paler marks, circles on the leaves, which do look indicative of some kind of pest damage. My main advice, Megan, would be just to keep an eye on your plants. Keep roaming around with that hand lens. Keep looking for the pests because sometimes they can migrate around and you're not necessarily sure where they were. The plant could sometimes grow past them. But it does certainly look to me like there might have been some kind of pest infestation, whether historic or current on your plants. There is also the possibility of the extra floral nectary. What on earth is that? We call it EFN for short. I'm hoping to do a whole podcast episode for the uh, Leaf Botany series on these strange things. But the clue is in the name. They're nectaries. They produce nectar, but they're not connected to plants. They're extra floral. So they're usually found somewhere on the leaf, often at the very base of the leaf or along the midrib of the plant. It varies from species to species. So why would a plant be producing nectar unconnected to the flower, the whole flowering process and the process of pollination? Well, as we know, many plants do have these beneficial relationships with various creatures. And botanists think that these extra floral nectaries can help to attract things like ants, which will then protect the plant from other pests. So it's a kind of a mutually beneficial relationship. Now, Extra floral nectaries generally don't occur a lot in the Araceae family. However, they are common in the genus Philodendron. I will post a link to an academic paper from the Botanical Journal of the Linnaean Society entitled Extra Floral Nectaries in Philodendron Distribution and Structure, which may be of interest to some of you who want to go deeper into this subject. I would be very surprised if those plants you have listed, Megan, are not all known for extra floral nectaries. So it could well be that the sticky drops you're seeing are coming from those extra floral nectaries. So I would say it's not something to hugely worry about. The The marks on the leaves may be historic pest damage or a sign of some other kind of problem. So it's worth keeping an eye on that. But in terms of the sticky stuff, you can just wash it away. You might need to use a bit of horticultural soap spray to remove it because obviously it's sticky. It does stick. But it 
in and of itself, it's not going to cause any problems to your plant. If it's outside or you put it outside for summer, you may find that you do attract ants. So that's something worth bearing in mind. As I say, I'm hoping to do a whole episode on extra floral nectaries in an upcoming show in the autumn. So hopefully we will learn more then. But do check out the show notes for links to that paper and also some more information about the delights of honeydew. I hope that helps, Megan. And if you've got a question for On The Ledge, drop me a line on the ledge podcast at gmail.com. That's all for this week's show and I will be back next Friday. I hope you will join me then for the final show before my little summer break. Have a fabulous week. Bye. Music you heard in this episode was Roll Jordan Roll by the Joy Drops, The Road We Used to Travel When We Were Young by Komiku, and Part 8 by Jazar. All tracks are licensed under Creative Commons. Visit the show notes for details.